1: You have got in much less detail the podcast. It is Tuesday night, Halloween night, October the 31st, 2017. I am Jay. Dre should be along shortly. Knows there's a show tonight. At least I hope he knows there's a show tonight. It's 9 p.m. Central Time. We're breaking down week eight as only we can in much less detail. And some fun games this last weekend, maybe the most fun game that we've had all season. I'm talking about the, the the main game that we have to talk about, probably the only game worth devoting a lot of time to, and that's gonna be Seattle Houston game that we had on Saturday on Sunday. That was a blast. Uh, that's in the in the season that we've had some really awful football. It was nice to see a game up and down, back and forth between good teams. I and mean, we've seen some back and forth. You know, we had that game earlier in the season. Was on that Thursday night, a couple of awful teams. It was the game that was supposed to save football. This was one of those that felt special. This is one of those that I'm thinking that, you know, come the end of the year, when we do our honors and dishonors and we think about game of the year type situation, it's going to be really hard not to have the Texans and the Seahawks in that conversation unless something stellar happens between now and then. We had Deshaun Watson going insane, absolutely insane. Love this kid. Throwing the ball up and down the field. And then Russell Wilson. Seems like any time Seattle needs to get into a shootout, as much as we bag on Russell Wilson and, you know, Dre is definitely the you know, Russell Wilson hater more than the other, even though he has the Seahawks in the Super Bowl. That's, this was actually his Super Bowl preview. As much as we uh, talk about Russell Wilson and the horrible offensive line and, you know, that the lack of offensive playmakers that that, that team seems to have, when they seem to need something big, Russell Wilson seems to find a way. And uh, we've got the Houston Texans now twice have gone on the road in, in two of the hardest places to play, both up in New England and in Seattle, and find a way to deserve to win the game and come out the loser in the very end due to some really shoddy defense. You know, I'm, I'm wondering what this Houston team's going to be like. If they have all their defensive pieces, if they have merciless, if they have Watt, they're going to be in a lot better shape than they are right now. And they still look like—I won't say the best team; they're definitely not the best team in the AFC—but they got to be the most fun team in the AFC. So it was, that game was a special treat. I just got word from Dre that he is—he's—he's he's trying to get on the show. That's—that's uh, that's positive. Uh, Hopefully he'll be along here shortly, break down things the the way that he can. I'm sure he saw some things that I didn't see, and I definitely uh, know that I saw some things that he didn't see. Dre, uh, if I went by the numbers correctly, managed to pull up one game behind me in the standings this week. Looks like I ended up with uh, coming out four of the seven games on top. Dre with three out of the seven games. Looks like Dre's here. I've filled some time. How you doing?
2: I'm very aggravated with the website. Okay, real quick. What, when you click on the link that I send you to get on the show, when you click before the show starts, what do you do? It, it asks you to push the number one if you want to be put through, but, of course, I'm on a computer, so I can't push anything. So what, what do you do? You just
1: sit there and, and you just pop up? Yeah, see when I call in cuz I I called in as the host tonight cuz of all the problems that we've been having. So, yeah. well, I just went in right in through the main signed in through the way that you and I would sign in to get into the site rather than go through the site that uh, you send me. Uh when I call in, I don't click anything. I just sit there and then you 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 eventually just push me through. So hitting So hitting I tried buttons, that. Yeah. And I just kept sitting
2: there and I never popped up on it because I got the main screen up, too, uh, in addition to calling in and my name never popped up. Nothing ever popped up. It just said that I was going to sit there in the main queue or whatever. Um, But but nothing ever happened. So that's why I had to come in and out three or four different times. I was right there when the show started trying to dial in uh, even before the show started. But I never popped up on the main menu. So I'm, I'm still trying to get the hang of all of this.
1: This is a recent problem that we seem to be dealing with here over about like the last month or so. But fortunately, I've got fortunately I've got this you know this this really complicated podcasting system that we have here. It took me all about ten minutes to figure out um, as far as the host side goes. All this all these years, I was worried. I was thinking you worked all this magic. I think the worst thing you could have done was let me realize that it, it's not that hard. Hey, you can take it over. no problem by me. I'm just frustrated <laughs> no, i
2: just I, I can't just, even come in as a guest at the, the top of the show i i'm I, that's what I'm trying to figure out yeah
1: no no, no doing on my part i'm not I'm not blocking you out i don't I don't have the super secret turbo button like you think I do,
2: yeah, you do. you're just lying. you just like see me
1: frustrated, yeah, you know, I gotta get you off your game that's right. Well, I spent. I I don't know know how much of the intro you heard, but uh, spent mostly, obviously talking about the only game that really mattered. You know, one of the most fun games I think that we've had all year. uh, That that Houston Seattle game, and that we could spend probably we could spend this whole hour breaking down just that game. There was so much in it.
2: Well, I'm assuming that's going to be your leading candidate for game of the year by the time
1: yep. the, the end of the year comes. I already, I already right. covered that. Yeah, I figured you did. It's going to be hard. I, I you know, I, I was making jokes about the, uh, that Thursday night game was that the Rams 49ers, you know, the game that saved football. I, I was referencing back to that game. um, On that, that Thursday night, that shootout that they had where, you know, the all the ratings were down and they were starting to worry about the NFL. So we get this just absolute dog shit Thursday night game. And it turns into a barn burner. And the next day, it was—it's the game that saved football. <laughs> if there's a game that's gonna save the game that's gonna save football, it's a game like that one. It's a game like that Seattle Houston game between actual talented teams, between teams that were, you know, laying it all on the line and and, and just leaving it all out there. Um, no defense was being played. A little bit of defense, but you know, a forty-one thirty-eight game, you're not exactly in a you know, in a uh, defensive struggle, but no, the, the, the point that I was really coming away from is that, you know, for as much as we are down on Russell Wilson, more, you more than me, it seems like when they need him, he's there. And there he was again. Yeah. My criticisms of him have
2: been uh, well-documented over the show. It's basically that I didn't see him on the people were calling him an elite quarterback back when he won that Super Bowl, which was one way more on the uh, on the back of the of the defense and the Legion of Boom than it was on Russell Wilson. So that was my main problem is that I don't have that big of a problem of, of his actual game. Uh, it's just that people are trying to put him up in the elite. It's the same thing with when they started trying to call Joe Flacco elite back when he won a ring. Just because you win a ring doesn't make you a fucking elite quarterback. So that's been my biggest complaint. But yeah, I'm a, I'm actually a fan of his of his play. I, I actually like when Russell Wilson comes up big in the biggest moments because I think uh, he's shown because of his consistently bad offensive line because of his consistent problems, getting protection that his front office doesn't seem to want to do anything about until they finally make this trade to get Dwayne Brown back up there. Uh, But because of that, it's even more heroic actually than normal when he comes through, because I I know what he has to overcome. i see it every time he plays that he has to overcome a, a, a crappy protection scheme and a crappy offensive line. And it makes it that much more impressive. When he does overcome all that and make all those plays and, and makes things happen, it, it, it's uh, it, it's pretty magical to watch. He's he's a hell of a quarterback. I'm not trying to come off as a a, a Russell Wilson hater. I just hated when people started trying to tag the, tag him as as elite and put him in the Tom Brady, Peyton Manning class when he clearly wasn't that good. But uh, it can't take much of anything away from either him or Deshaun Watson in that game. And I I did hear the part where you referenced that this was my Super Bowl prediction. How fucking off the charts would
1: that Super Bowl be if it's a rematch of this game, huh? How about that? I don't know if we're going to quite get there, but at least we got a little miniature version of it.
2: Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying I'm, they're going I'm, to pass a 400 yards each again.
1: No. I'm not sold on the fact that this will be the Super Bowl rematch, but... If it's not, we got one hell of a good football game. I mean, this was, you know, why does it seem like Seattle always seems to find their way into these game of the year type games? We had, we, we had those Arizona-Seattle games that for a couple of years were the most fun games in football to watch. And now we got Houston going up there, uh, very similar to the way they went up to New England and, and hung in there and hung in there and hung in there and then just decided to completely uncover a dude at the end of the game and uh, melt down in the secondary and, and lose a game that they should have won. That's two now that they've lost. Yeah, I say, look, it and... happened again. Yeah, well, it was, they're good at it. I'll give them that. Uh, but I have to ask you, and this might, this might sting. This is going to cut deep. i got to ask you this question. As a Bears fan, no. what's it like watching the third quarterback off the board, Deshaun Watson, when you're sitting there at number two? After they, I believe, moved up to number two to jump up and get their guy. and you got, you got Houston sitting there who takes Deshaun Watson as the third quarterback. Again, the third quarterback off the board after Trubisky and Mahomes. And look at what – I mean, he's, it, he's clearly pro-ready for, for everything that everybody said about him coming into the season – uh, he's got a game. Now, that's a fair question, but here's the difference. This goes
2: to the Tom Brady question. There's zero people who thought that Tom Brady would turn out to be this. If they did, he wouldn't have been the 199th pick in the 2003, or 2004 draft, draft or what have you. Uh If you get put in the right situation, you can do some amazing things. You can become a Hall of Famer. And if you're not put in the right situation, you can become David fucking Carr. It's all about where you go, what talent is surrounding you, and who the coaching staff is surrounding you. Do you think for one second, for one second, that Deshaun Watson would be doing any of this as a Chicago Bear right now with that roster and that coaching staff, with Dow fucking Loggins as his offensive coordinator. Do you think he'd have any kind of success like this, even an inkling of success? Because I don't think there's any chance he would. And I'm not saying Trubisky would be in Houston balling out right now, but he might because he had an actual offensive coach in Bill O'Brien. And he actually has offensive weapons around him in New Hopkins and Will Fuller. He might actually be having somewhat similar success to what Deshaun Watson is doing, but there is no chance at all that Deshaun Watson will be doing anything like this under John Fox, giving him six passes a game.
1: I got to say, you sound like a man who's been waiting for eight weeks for me to ask you that question. I honestly hadn't thought about it, but when you asked it, it
2: dawned on me that there's no chance that Deshaun Watson in navy blue and orange for
1: the Chicago Bears will be doing anything like this right now. No, but clearly, like you said, if, if the roles were reversed, I, I don't think we'd be seeing the same type of football being played by Trubisky as what we're getting out of Deshaun Watson right now. He clearly is the guy right now. And we don't know what Patrick Mahomes can do because Alec Hill, he lit the fire on, under Alex Smith and has the Chiefs playing at a different level offensively, where now all of a sudden Alex Smith is just a mad bomber, and he's not afraid to go downfield at you know at will. So, you know, sometimes that's what it takes.
2: Sure, and if Mahomes did get in there, look who he'd have around him. He'd have Tyreek Hill, and uh, in the backfield he'd have Kareem Hunt. Do you think had yeah. Mahomes or Sean Watson would have much success with his number one receiver being Trey McBride? Because that's what... Trubisky has right now, and he actually made Trey McBride look like an NFL receiver on Sunday against the Saints, because again, Trubisky, he's not bad. When you actually let him have a chance to throw more than three times a game, he actually
1: seems like he has a future in the NFL as well. Fair enough. But, yeah, I go back and I look at that draft listing, and you're just like, man, even at 12, you're feeling like Houston's really kind of caught on to something. Yeah, and he's in the perfect spot with Bill O'Brien, um they they went through those first two games with Tom Savage oh and and the first half of a setting, game with Tom Savage. oh man setting setting football he back knew. yeah he was, knew was that played half, after had, half that was halftime half of the first game you are right he knew what he did wrong he knew yeah and watson came in and and looked like a guy playing his first nfl football but he showed those flashes and now it seems like the reins are off i mean they're just letting him go and those balls that he is putting down the field that's what i really appreciated the similarity there's a lot of similarities between russell wilson and deshaun watson as two guys who clearly can run deshaun watson is the uh leading quarterback rusher in football but he's not looking to run he is looking to dance around and dance around and then just launch and, some of the, and, and you were watching Russell Wilson doing the same thing. He'd run when he needed to, but the majority of the time, Russell Wilson was dancing around back there. He was looking for the kill shot. And you just had back and forth, up and down the field, literally. It was a heavyweight fight of kill shots back and forth. Every time you thought one guy had put his team over, the other guy would come back and do it again. And that was, that was a whole lot of fun.
2: I noticed the exact same thing, and I wanted to give – what I think is the uh, the proper credit to the guys behind those two performances, uh, as awesome as Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson were, what I think we were seeing in that game were two coaches, Bill O'Brien and Daryl Bevel, at their best in a chess match going back and forth. And this is what happens when you have confidence in the people that you send out on the field because Bill O'Brien hasn't had confidence in his quarterbacks in quite a long time. We saw what he thought of Tom Savage after one half. We saw last year what he thought of Brock Osweiler halfway through the season uh, limiting him much the way that John Fox was limiting Mitch Trubisky because he didn't trust this guy to win the games for him. He's trying to find a way to win games outside of letting his quarterback take over because he didn't trust his quarterback. He didn't have the confidence. And I don't. The the difference is, I don't think Fox is really justified in not having confidence in Trubisky because he doesn't. He he doesn't have confidence in any rookie quarterback throughout the years. He's proven that with Winky and with Tebow, as we talked about uh, last week. But I thought it was a, a beautiful game between the coaching staffs who see what they have in their quarterbacks and see what they have in their weapons and they were just letting it go with the play calls and the schemes and the different formations and this is what this is what it's supposed to look like when you have the utmost confidence in your guys You don't, you you empty the playbook. You don't have any plays that you hold back and and try to hold in abeyance until next week or the week after you just say, here we go here. Here's everything we got. Here's our most creative plays. We're just going to draw them up and, and let it fly. And that's how you get two guys throwing for 400 yards each, not only that, but against defenses who are not slobs, the Texans and the Seahawks both sport pretty good secondaries and pretty good defensive schemes overall and but it doesn't matter. When you have a coaching, when You have coaches who know what they're doing and quarterbacks who are talented enough to carry out what they're doing and weapons who are talented enough to go up and get whatever it is you're throwing up, you're just going to let it go balls out and, and be damned with whatever happens. And that's exactly uh, what we saw on Sunday. It was, a, it was a great chess game between both of those guys. It's amazing uh, that Seattle had no timeouts and were backed up on their half of the field. to to have a chance to win that game. And they did it. Russell Wilson found a way and and found Jimmy Graham in the end zone. And uh, after everything that had happened in that game, he didn't give up. Like I said, this is why I'm actually a a fan of Wilson now over the years, because he really does come through in those clutch moments when his back's against the wall. Uh, But that's what I, I, that's what struck out to me or stuck out to me as watching those two offenses going up and down the field is that's what it's supposed to look like when coaches actually know what they're doing and have confidence in the guys that they're sending
1: out there. Yeah, I have to say I have a a small measure of pride in after what feels like two or three years now of me like silently holding vigil here. It was like I had the little – I was holding the candle, waiting and waiting and waiting for Paul Richardson to show up. And he's now, now that he's healthy, this is like a previous, you know, X factor guy for me. I've been talking about this guy whenever I get a chance to, and he gets hurt. And then here he comes again and he makes a spectacular play and then he gets hurt. And that weapon in that Seattle offense, it's nice to see what that can, what, what that can look like if they have that true playmaking wide receiver. Um, now that I just talked about him again, he's going to get hurt, right? <laughs> yeah, you, you jinxed him. No, they they got
2: guys that are, are bubbling underneath. I think I put him and Doug Baldwin sort of in the same category. I don't think Baldwin is quite as good as he could be yet either. Uh, he, he's always struck me as just, I, I see the potential, but I, I want a little more. I want him to, to do a little more. And, of course, Richardson, you want him to do a lot more because he's so infrequently uh, on the field, uh, but yeah, I'm with you. I'm I'm a fan of of Richardson as well, uh, and I, I feel sort of similar about uh, Will Fuller uh, knowing what he did his rookie year last year and, and seeing the potential he had. But he and DeAndre Hopkins really being held back and hamstrung by the fact that their quarterback was Brock Osweiler and they couldn't make any plays. It was a quarterback sucked, and now they don't have a now they have a quarterback that doesn't suck. Uh, everyone
1: can see how talented those guys are as well. Yeah, I I don't want to talk about this game for the whole hour. <laughs> but, oh, why not? But but yeah, it, it you know it feels you know hey, it's your Super Bowl preview. I mean, this is this is almost what we do when we break down a almost what we do when we break down a Super Bowl. But there were twelve other games. You know, well, one that we already talked about, well, avoided talking about on Thursday night. Um, yeah. Get your kids I, I, you back up. I'd, I'd rather talk to them again. <laughs> yeah, well, we won't we won't revisit that. But uh, oh. looking looking at the numbers, when I added everything up, it looked like we had a seven and six and a six and seven. Was that right? That's right. So that would have been me, I believe, had the seven and six thanks to the Kansas City Chiefs holding off the Denver Broncos last night. Yeah, that's, and. That, uh, that's correct. I was, I was looking back. That's your first
2: week over five hundred since.
1: That might be since last uh, year. Since last year.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that is correct. That is your first season, uh, first week over five hundred all all this season.
1: Uh, you, but, you, but you keep you keep coming back to me.
2: That's true. It's slowly but surely, uh, for the season to put you at forty eight, sixty four, and seven, which is a four twenty nine percentage. And I'm at fifty nine, fifty three, and seven for a five twenty seven percentage. I still can't believe how far I've fallen since uh, week three. Uh, I don't even I don't even want to think about week three. That's, that's, that feels like five months ago, not just
1: a couple. Yeah, I, I get you there, especially especially with the last couple of weeks here, where you know you've kind of started watching. You know, I've, I've I've chipped away, finally started chipping away a little bit at that lead that you had. Um, and then with just some of – even the week that you had that was so terrible, I mean, I had one of those that was really terrible, too. So you've had, going back now, three really rough weeks, um, although six and seven is not the worst. Say, but I don't then, count this as all that rough so, compared to the last week's uh, particularly. Yeah. So we, we've, had, we, we've had our ups and downs this year. I'm still waiting for the big ups, but I, I'll take <laughs> – I'll take slowly working my way back into this. You know, this is just about that halfway mark of the season, um, even though, you know, we're just under that halfway mark. And after this week, we'll be, we'll be just over because of the way that the, the schedule works out being 17 weeks now. So I, I'm feeling better overall. I don't feel like I did after the first two weeks where I just had no clue about anything that I was doing. And it felt like I, I literally just needed to flip all my picks. I'm not. I'm not getting that feeling right now. I'm feeling good about some of my picks. I thought I had a good chance of taking some games against you this week, and it, it worked out.
2: We also celebrated our first week of how, of getting our lot correct at the same time yeah. uh, since back in
1: since back in week two. Wow. Yeah, it hasn't been a good a good year for me for the locks. I believe that was number two for me. Correct. And you're at four. So <laughs> it's, neither I'm one at four of them has been. I'm feeling great about that. Yeah. But I'm only two down in the locks. I can, I can manage. Uh, I, I want to talk about the lock that I want because it leads into
2: uh, what I think is one of the more gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching versions of what is a catch uh, that you'll ever see. Uh, Because I had the Chicago Bears to cover as 10-point dogs down in New Orleans, and they almost found a way to blow that, but they did hang on and lose the game by only eight. Uh, Did you see the Zach Miller play? Because it was
1: uh, incredible. I, I didn't see it happen. And then after I heard about what happened where he's like, was talking about where he got hurt. Yeah, it was all it was the same yeah. play. The yeah. After I heard about what happened to him, I stayed away from any highlights because I don't want to see a play where a guy almost loses his leg. And the thing about it is, they're
2: uh, the announcers are talking about how ugly it was. They come back from commercial. They're talking about how terrible the play was, and and you don't want to. We're not going to show it again. They actually said out loud, "We're not going to show that play again." Then they find out that the play is under review from New York, which winds <laughs> no. up eventually being overturned. So they have to show the play 10 more times at least, trying to figure out the angle of why they're trying to, to overturn the call, which they want up overturning. So we got to actually see the leg Buckling and bending the wrong way ten more times or so, and I had to avert my my eyes to the bottom of the of the, of the TV screen each time that that they replayed it because that's how gruesome it was. It was pretty gruesome, but it was so gut wrenching to have that happen. For those of you who didn't see the play, Zach Miller, the Bears' tight end, goes up, makes the uh, uh, an incredible catch for a touchdown in the end zone. Uh, upon coming down something happened to his knee where it just buckled and bent completely the wrong way like it was bent to the side like a like a piece of of gum like you just bend something very flexible and and uh like play-doh and so he goes up makes the catch comes down literally a second or two passed after he came down with the ball before he decided to tend to his disintegrated knee and put the ball down on the ground while tending to a disintegrated knee. This wasn't rolling down or, or this wasn't hitting the ground and then the ball comes out or something. This was, he came down, put his ass on the ground in the end zone, cradled the ball and then placed it, purposely put it, on the ground so that he can free his hands up to tend to his knee that got disintegrated and after further review, the cowards in New York decided that that wasn't a touchdown because he didn't complete the process of the catch by holding on to it as his knee was disintegrating and turning into liquid inside of his body that is absolutely ridiculous there is no way and i'm a I'm a bears fan so if you want to say that I'm a homer and I'm overreacting and that it was it was actually a bang bang call, you can say that but fuck you. There's no way that was not a touchdown. No way. I would, I would hope I would say that for any other team, not just the Bears, but that was a touchdown. He caught the ball. He landed on his back. He held onto the ball. Then on purpose, he put the ball down next to him so he could grab at his knee, which is disintegrating before his eyes. And somehow that's not completing the process. You don't know what completing the process of the catch is. You're making it up. You are totally making it up. What is? Does he have to get up after coming down and hand the ball to the referee? Does he have to start his celebration? What is the what is the moment where the process of the catch is complete? Because that was complete when you're sitting down in the end zone for a second or two and he made the catch with the ball secure, not rolling around, and then you make the decision to put the ball down. Very, very much reminiscent of the Calvin Johnson touchdown uh, against the Bears in Soldier Field that was not. A touchdown because he purposely got up and put the ball down on the ground after he had already caught it. He put it down after as he was getting up to go celebrate, and they said that wasn't complete in the process. That was also ridiculous, and I said that at the time as well. And I'm a Bears fan, so I, I should have been happy that they called that incomplete, but I wasn't because it was a touchdown. This was probably more ridiculous than that because he was laying there cradling the ball for a second or two, and, and it was it was it was the worst episode of what is the catch that we've had yet and it seems like every week it gets worse and worse and worse
1: yeah i think that one you describing the play i'm thinking of in my mind and i'm glad you brought it up was that calvin johnson play sort of the beginning of the end of, of this whole thing you know and when i say the beginning of the end i mean that the nfl is legislating so much in the gray area, that they're taking common sense out of the officiating. Everybody in that stadium, everybody watching TV, everybody knows, the other team even knows that's a touchdown. But they, they find the obscurest possible way to overturn it. You know, rem- reminiscent of the tuck rule, right? I mean, everybody Ooh. knew the patriots knew the raiders knew the fans knew the people watching on tv everybody knew that was a fumble except for one idiot official under the hood who goes oh wait a minute there's this rule that we can use yeah there's this rule that we can use to overturn this and that is totally against the spirit of what rules are about when when you're looking for a way out, you know you're you're trying to look like you're the smartest guy in the room. This is doing the, the officiating, and not knowing what is what and what's a catch and 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 what's uh, what's pass interference or what's what. Is making uh, that's doing way more damage to to the to the brand and the football, I think, than anything else. Because I think that people are starting to get fed up. The announcers are getting fed up. How long have we been talking about that for? I, I I heard they're broadcasting to last a night. bunch of
2: people, and you're trying to tell them this is definitely a catch, and this is definitely, and yeah. then you go to New York, and they say, well, uh I'm not yeah. sure if that is because of this, this, and this. And you're like, huh? Uh, but I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the catch right there in front of me. How are you telling me it's not? It's
1: just totally Yeah, I, I heard multiple occasions last night, even on on Monday Night Football, where John Gruden is actively campaigning against the officials. I mean, there was a – what they called a uh, hit on a defenseless receiver, which was just a guy playing football. It wasn't a dirty hit. wasn't a blow to the head. There was a pass interference call um, – that Demarius Thomas drew where he literally just grabbed the dude and carried him into the end zone with him. And they called, def- they called defensive pass interference. So it's getting to be, it's getting to be a little ridiculous and it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. It is.
2: Here is the newest Juju Smith Schuster fan in the world, Bryce and Brooklyn on in much less detailed The podcast. Welcome in Bryce.
0: <laughs> you guys are hilarious.
2: <laughs> he's your man now he's your guy
0: i mean you know I, I try to root for i try to root for all my guys i mean you know hey smith schuster had a he's he's a really good young player you know i'm not going to anoint him the savior i don't do stuff like that but you know good player um good young player got a lot of upside he showed it he could play he definitely has patterned his game after hines ward that's who he reminds me of he looks like that guy
2: yeah, I like those tough catches he makes, man. He is tough to bring down.
0: Yeah, he does a lot of different things. I mean, he just, you know, some guys just, you know, he knows how to play the game. He plays it in a, way, in a certain way in terms of, you know, the little details that make him an all-around, as Tomlin said. They drafted him because they thought he was an outstanding football player before a wide receiver, and he plays wide receiver kind of like that. And, you know, they finally found a guy. Hines Ward was a unique guy, and to be able to draft a guy that's kind of like Heinz. I mean, look, I thought, I'm not going to lie, I thought the second round was too high for what the team needed. Um, but, I, I you know, I thought, oh, man, second round, I want a corner there. But, hey, credit to front office. Got to give them credit. They found a guy that they felt could fit their system, and, yeah, he's doing a good job.
2: So what else did you see out of your, uh, your Steelers? A nice workman-like win uh, against the Lions on Sunday night.
0: You know, a very workman like win. Number one, I think it definitely does show that the team, the the front office, is also smart not trading Martavis Bryant. They need that guy this year. Now, I don't want to trade him at all. Maybe in the offseason they explore it. You need that guy's speed, his athleticism, his his playmaking ability. They got to figure it out. And I'm guessing they will. I'm hoping they will. They got to figure it out. The quarterback has to play better. He was pretty good, but still missing wide open guys, just too inconsistent. Um, I love the goal line stand. The red zone defense was outstanding. It had been very suspect. Um, I think the defensive play calling for the coverage is still too much zone. You know what's going to happen when they play a good quarterback like Stafford and Brady. You run a consistent, predictable zone coverage every down, they're going to pick it apart. I mean, that's going to happen. If they're going to do that, you can cancel a big win in a big playoff game goodbye against a good quarterback. He's just going to pick up a part. He's going to give up too much. You're not always going to be able to keep people out of the end zone. So. I got Joe Hayden. I hope they mix it up, but I saw that. Um, I think Lev Bell is, you know, Lev Bell. He can do what he do. The offensive line pass protection has been outstanding. I mean, Ben's just not getting sacked a lot. That's, that's, that's a good thing. They definitely got a top five offensive line to me. So, you know, good game, but hopefully there's – I mean, there's a lot to build on, but there's a lot they still got to work on. But I'm excited about where the team is going.
2: Jason, were you able to catch the game? It was incredible how the Steelers kept sort of bending and bending and, and letting the receivers get underneath the, and get yardage, but they just would not let them in the end zone, no matter what they did. Yeah, yeah really. That I game. Agree. Yeah, that I'm
1: sorry, I'm game sorry. just turned. That game just turned on that on that huge ninety some odd yard touchdown pass uh, to Schuster. Uh, that was that was pretty much the game because Matthew Stafford was. You know, we talk about those Lions receivers and how they don't create any separation. The Steelers were yeah. not allowing a ton of separation because you know that they were just allowing Matthew Stafford to be Matthew Stafford. But as the field gets shorter and those receivers are so substandard, yeah, five field goals. Uh, any one of those turns into a touchdown, and you've got yourself a, a really compelling ball game. But yeah, the the kill shot was the long touchdown pass. You can't give that up at home. Um, in backbreaking manner like that and expect to get a win. So, yeah, it was just a, the Steelers showed up. They were clearly the better team. Once again, the Lions are who we thought they were. They are the bumslayers of the NFL. They will beat the <laughs> bad teams, and they will lose to the good teams. And there they were again, losing to a good team on Sunday night. And it, nothing's new here. Rinse and repeat. Move on.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great analysis. I mean, when particularly when you looked at Pittsburgh and uh, well, Golden Tate, you just can't fumble that ball. That was a gimme turnover. That I thought was a backbreaker. You just you get a good play downfield, you turn and run, you just fumble the football. I mean, that was a backbreaker. Um, that, that was, was a turn- gift. Yeah, that was just a gift. But this is what we're talking. I mean, we know what the deal is. Like, this is why I go back to the defensive play calling. Like, okay, you got it done this week, but this against. His quarterbacks, like Matthew Stafford, one of the better quarterbacks, I've always liked Matthew Stafford. I think your analysis of the Lions is spot on. They have never surrounded him with talent at all the positions, minus Megatron. Megatron is Megatron, but it's it's, it's football. you got to have more pieces in place. They don't run the football. So I think, you know, they got away with it this time, but, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers are built to do one thing, go to the Super Bowl and win. And normally in that situation, you're playing against the top flight quarterback. And if they roll out zone every time and don't use Joe Hayden more than man and man of already burns, they're going to get beat. I mean, I can already see it coming. I'm not being doom and gloom and nitpicky. I, I am excited about the team, but if the coaching staff calls this type of game against the top flight quarterback and gives up 400 yards passing, they're not going to be able to keep every great quarterback, i.e., Tom Brady, out of the end zone. That's going to be a recipe for disaster. You got Joe Hayden. Like I said, I think I said this before. It's like you go to the steakhouse, you order the chicken. I love the chicken. That's great. <laughs> Don't get the steak. You got Joe Hayden, Artie Burns, put him in man coverage. <laughs> you know, mix the coverage up. Call zone, call man. Don't make it easy on these guys just to run down the field and sit in the zone and yards after yards after yards. I just think that's a recipe for disaster. But I'm glad they stiffened up in the
1: red zone this week.
0: You know, I, I, love I seem it. You to wouldn't...
1: remember <laughs> – I seem to remember a certain co-host of mine. Every time when we lived in Chicago and we would go out for ribs, the man would order a chicken sandwich. You just described, you just described, Ray, he's the guy who goes out for ribs and orders the chicken sandwich.
2: I hated ribs at the time. What can I say? I hated ribs.
0: And look, if you go to a great, Steakhouse like twenty times, maybe, maybe you know seven, maybe three at a times you don't order the steak. Maybe you order the chicken. Now, I'm not saying anything wrong with it, but if you're going to a great steakhouse or a really good steakhouse, and you ordered it twenty times, you ordered the chicken seventeen times. That's that, that's a lot <laughs> <laughs> It's like why are you going there? And so same thing with Joe Hayden. You brought this guy in three years, almost thirty million. You know he has the capability to play man coverage. So does Artie Burns. Got up faster safeties back there and Davis and Mitchell. I got the man up sometime. I mean, that was the game to play more man. And they still rolled out the majority of zone. I mean, I didn't like that coaching decision. I felt it almost cost them. You guys saw the game. You stepping up in the red zone is one thing, but that could have easily cost them. So I think they're playing with fire there. Play more man coverage. Mix the coverage up. NFL, man. Got to mix coverages up. Make people work for it.
1: Yeah, when you let a, when you let a team live in your side of the field – The least likely outcome is five field goals. So the Steelers were lucky in that respect.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: No, I was going to say, you just got to figure with a good team or a better team offensively that some of those field goals are going to become touchdowns.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're, hey, man, I think that's, that's spot on. You're right. When it got tighter, you saw that the Pittsburgh defensive backs are just better than the Detroit receivers. And so Matthew Stafford didn't really have a lot of ways to go with the ball. Plus, they couldn't run it. So are our guys out-acting their guys in the right spots? Which I think is going to happen as you push forward. You're going to play, you know, you got to play the Patriots. you get into to the playoffs. Even if you, let's say the Raiders were to get hot and sneak in, you had to play them. Derek Carr can get it there, too. And now you're dealing with Cooper and Crabtree. That's a tougher matchup. So I'm just using that as an example to say you got to mix up the coverages and make guys work for it. That's how you can get more turnovers. If you if you mix it up more, you know, you make guys guess. Maybe they screw it up. Maybe you beat them on a the play, and then you can get a turnover. So they got to do better.
2: There you go. Bryce doesn't want the chicken. He wants the steak. up, Steelers.
0: <laughs> man, you were going to the rib house and ordering the chicken sandwich. Every oh,
2: time. man, I didn't <laughs> like ribs. <laughs> <laughs> I have no other excuse. All I can say is I didn't like ribs. Oh,
0: man. Okay. Well, you know, hey, we all got our preferences, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, hey, guys, let me ask you this. At six and two, who do you guys got coming out of, moving down the stretch, who do you got coming out of the NFC, who you got coming out of the AFC?
2: Ah, putting us on the spot. Wow. But yeah,
0: You guys are the experts. You guys are the experts.
2: Oh, who stands out to me in the NFC? I'm about to tear down the, the the Eagles again because I'm still not impressed with them. I'm just not. And they did this last year. Where they started off all hot, and everybody wanted to put Carson Wentz in the Hall of Fame, and uh, he's he's okay, he's alright, but there, there's a lot of holes still there. So I'm I'm not overly impressed uh, with with the Eagles. Uh, the Seahawks was were my Super Bowl pick, and they still worry me because they still their their defense isn't what they used to be. They they have a lot of holes developing there, but that offense looks like it's about to break out. It looks like they're gonna have a, a a good second half, especially acquiring Dwayne Brown uh, at left tackle. I think that's gonna be a huge acquisition. So I, I think I'm gonna stick with the Seahawks uh, to lean on their experience and wind up coming uh, coming through in the nfc when it's all said and done and the afc is a, is a mess that's, that's a jumble to me uh that very well could be the steelers if they if they keep it all together they look like they really do look like they're improving as the year goes on to me uh in in uh, in all facets uh, I still think the Patriots are going to take a step back. I think they were so motivated last year. It doesn't look like the same team, and that defense is trash. I'm sorry. I, I watched that whole game against the Chargers. They, they they could have easily lost that game because they're just leaving guys wide, wide open all over the place. So I think if, if the Steelers get the Patriots this time, I'd like the Steelers uh, to overcome them. Uh, the, the Texas were my actual Super Bowl pick there before the season, and I don't Know if I if I want to go off of them either because of how great they are under Deshaun Watson now he's been a revelation it, it, I I feel like I don't want to lean on them because he's a rookie and he's going to be a rookie eventually he's going to have to make the big mistake in the big spot but he hasn't done it yet um, but I I think uh, I would if the, if it were the Steelers and the Texans uh, in the AFC title game I think I would go with the, with the Steelers uh, with their experience as well but. I don't count Deshaun Watson completely out because what I've seen so far, there's pretty much nothing he can't do.
1: I look at the N. I look at the NFC as a race right now between the Seahawks and the Vikings. Um, I think it's going to come down to home field, but I do like that Minnesota defense. They did it again. Uh, they they just keep doing it, and when you get into the playoffs, defense does rule. A lot these days It still it still matters it's not as big of a deal as it used to be but if you can have a a style of defense that can win you games like the Broncos did where they won just despite their offense the Vikings are almost at that level Uh, and if the Vikings can can get the home field and not have to go to Seattle I think that those two teams, I think, are in a race. I, I don't tr- I'm don't. i with Dre. I don't trust the Eagles. He knows I'm not the biggest Carson Wentz fan. I, I, I bashed him quite a lot on the show. He, he's, he's opened up my eyes some this year. I, I, I hate him a little less than I used to, but I'm still waiting for the other shoe to drop with that team. And in the AFC, that whole thing is wide open. I had the Raiders coming out of the AFC. They're not dead, yeah. but they're, they're on life support. And yeah. If, um, if they can if they can't get it moving you've got those you've got basically the patriots the steelers and the chiefs and you've got to almost negate the chiefs because everybody knows the chiefs are a regular season team and Right, we until know what they happens prove to them in the, the playoffs um, right so until they prove otherwise that's what we have to look at the chiefs as. the, Chief, the chief's problem is they can't win in the playoffs the only way they're going to turn that opinion of them around is by going out and winning in the playoffs so i hate to say it but pittsburgh and new england again probably look like the strength of the afc
0: all right well okay so let me give mine real quick um let me start with the nfc you know i agree with you man i'm gonna go with the seattle seahawks i think they just they had the championship experience, the quarterback and the moxie and the defensive playmakers. If it was to come down to Philly and Seattle, I'd give Seattle the edge. Um, that team just knows how to win, and they've done it. I respect them. Um, and then in the AFC, hey, I got to go down with the ship. You know, I got my Steelers. I picked them in the beginning of the season to finally get over the hump, particularly with Joe Hayden. Um, hey, there was a story that was written today about one of the local guys about asking the defensive backs coach, Carnell Lake, about man coverage about zone and all that, and you know, Cornell did say, oh, we practice it a lot, it's there. At some point, they're gonna start rolling it out more, and if they start diversifying the coverage and playing it well, it's gonna be a tough team to stop. I mean, the the talent is such upgraded in the secondary with Burns, and on the secondary note, hey, we all got the Patriots there, You better watch out for those Buffalo Bills. That's a team that's defensively not gonna be scared with Leslie Frazier to play more man coverage. And they still got to play the Patriots twice. You may not believe in them now, but they, with LaShawn McCoy, they play a tough style of football. You know, Buffalo's a tough place to play. They, they were one of the few teams to beat the Patriots last year without Tom Brady, of course. But, of course. you know, that offense, Tyrod Taylor can present problems because he's so athletic. So the Patriots are going to win that division. Uh, but it, I don't know if it's going to be the cakewalk. The Jets gave them a little bit of the game, and you still got to play the Bills twice, and the Bills are very well coached. They got a good young coach. Let's, let's I'm telling you guys, let's see how that plays out. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe the Patriots sweep them like always, but this may be a different Bills team. Let's keep an eye out for them.
1: Well, I'll tell you what I do like about the Buffalo Bills and their chances against the Patriots is nothing's going to hurt having Kevin Benjamin running around in that secondary. Oh, and I got that. That's a good point. New England's secondary is trash. And the Bills go out today and trade for Kelvin Benjamin. Now, again, I don't understand. We've got two teams that made trades that they didn't need to make if they hadn't made the first stupid move, and that would be the Seahawks <laughs> and the Bills. The Seahawks were like, well, hey, we need O-line help. Oh, well, maybe you should have thought about that before you traded Max Unger. And then the Bills right. are, well, hey, we need wide receiver help. Maybe you should have thought about that before you (laughs) traded Sammy Watkins. But (laughs) either way, either way, you've got teams who made stupid moves and now they've had to reacquire players to bolster what they lost. But I I can't say that I don't like them. The Bills are 6-2 with just guys. I mean, Charles Clay. Just dudes out there running around and running patterns. And Sean McCoy. So going out and getting... Kelvin Benjamin, a legitimate wide receiver threat, makes them a lot more dangerous in that division right now.
2: I agree. I like him yeah. as a sleeper too, especially if they keep taking the ball away like they are. Yeah, they're
0: very well coached, and that young coach McDermott. I think, I think Sammy Watkins and Robert Woods and these other people. I think it was about a culture change. I don't know if McDermott thought those guys were going to buy in. I like Sammy Watkins. I would have tried to keep him. But, yeah, I mean, look, that, that, that's the evidence right there when you see them out there executing with guys you don't know about of a very well-coached team. And that defense doesn't seem to beat itself, and they play physical. That's 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 a recipe to hang in there with the Patriots. So, you know, it, it, it's 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 – the, the division's the Patriots, but the Bills ain't going to just roll over this year. So let's keep an eye out for that.
2: There you go. Our midseason breakdown with Bryce and Brooklyn. Bryce, thanks for calling in.
0: Hey, I love the show, guys. I'll talk to you soon.
2: Thanks. Oh, the man is full of passion. It's 6 and 2, and he's still not happy. Man, I don't care about the chicken, I want the steak. <laughs> And I I, yeah,
1: I didn't mean to call you out too bad, but hey, yeah, you did. We're we, five years, five years we've been doing this show, right? Yeah. Someone called us experts, man. I mean, it almost brought a tear it to was, my eye.
2: <laughs> and said he loved the show on his way out, man. That's 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 lofty yeah.
1: praise. We we've made it. So it we we've clearly fooled him. It worked. <laughs> it was, I was sitting there thinking, no, we're just." Dudes who watch a lot of football that have microphones. Um, but well experts. a lot of guys getting like six
2: figures who, who fit that description as well. But
1: well, you gotta put that in the show description now. We're not just making picks, we are now making <laughs> expert
2: picks. Because we're the experts.
1: Oh. I'm also gonna I'm yeah. also gonna chalk that up as the first time Bryce has ever agreed with anything I said. <laughs> I noticed that too. That he gave you praise
2: over a point that you made, and I was like, "Whoa, whoa! How about that? All right."
1: Thank you. Well, yeah. Thanks, Bryce. <laughs> I appreciate it.
2: Uh, yeah, that was fun. That was uh, that, that was a lot of details. More detail instead of less, uh, but but that's good. That, that's good. We we got into some things there. We got into the trade deadline stuff, which was amazing. That after all these years of all these coaches and GMs being so scared to to make any deals at the deadline. All they had to do was move the deadline up a couple of weeks closer to mid-season than uh, after week five or week six, which is when it normally was. And, of course, no one wants to make a deal there because there's there's so much season left. You don't know know, if you're sending or buying or selling. You don't know exactly what you want to do. Now you move it up after week eight and, oh, yeah, let's make all these deals. Let's get Kevin Benjamin out of here. Let's get Dwayne Brown out of here. Let's get – Jay Ajayi out of Miami, who just made all these deals. It was, it was uh, the
1: most incredible NFL trade deadline probably ever. And the the trade that nobody uh, – we haven't talked about was the Jimmy Garoppolo trade. They finally Jimmy traded. Jimmy Garoppolo is gone. Jimmy Garoppolo is now going to be in San Francisco, and you got to assume as soon as they get him up to speed, he's, he's the guy, right? I mean, it, it, yeah. that's it. Just let him play. Maybe. Just maybe the 49ers will win a game.
2: They are desperate. They uh, they didn't they don't look like they're gonna win anything under T.J. Beathard, and they certainly weren't gonna win with Brian Hoyer. So yeah, that was that's a big trade. Uh, the ramifications in the future more so than right now because everyone thought that Kirk Cousins, when he becomes a free agent, everyone knows one thing: is that he no he's not coming back to Washington because the way they dicked him around. You don't franchise no, a yeah. guy two years in a row and expect to sign him long term because if you wanted him long term you would have just signed him long term, but obviously they didn't want him long term. So one thing we know about uh about Cousins is that he's not coming back to Washington next year. Everyone assumed that one of his top landing places next year would be San Francisco, where his former coordinator Kyle Shanahan is, is the head coach now. But uh that takes him sorta of out of that running, you would think, now that they've uh, made the deal for uh, a second round pick and which is going to be of course a very 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 high second round pick uh because of how bad the 49ers are so it's, you know it's looking like number 33 or 34 overall uh in the second round for the patriots there a very valuable pick uh in exchange for janine garoppolo uh so that sort of narrows down cousins potential landing places and, and uh so yeah what did you what do you what do you think of the of that move uh, we've had all the speculation about Garoppolo ever since the little two, two and a half game audition that he did last year while Tom Brady was suspended. And of course, people got the vapors and were hyperventilating over how good he was during that. So uh, you, you think a, a high second round pick is too much for a veteran
1: like that? Well, I always had the suspicion that the Patriots were holding out for a number one and they basically yeah. got a yeah. low, you know, low number what you did the high two what you are going to expect that amount to so good move i I think that's one of those win-win trades but this you know the 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 49ers now as a team who sends sends a second round draft pick for a more proven commodity doesn't have to spend their number one or number two or number three pick whatever they're going to land at they're actually going to be able to spend that to improve the team overall instead of doing what we've seen these teams do and just reach for whoever's available at the quarterback position in the draft. So that's a shrewd move by both teams. And Now, where the move becomes ridiculous is if Tom Brady gets hurt. (laughs) Tom (laughs) Brady gets hurt. (laughs) That looks
2: terrible. That's going to be a problem. Because the third stringer, Jack oh. Brisket, got sent away
1: before the season began. So they're really going to be in and, a pickle. And in week eight of the 2017 season, I will make my prediction right now on Kirk Cousins' landing spot next year. Yes. Arizona. Mm. That's my Carson prediction Palmer for does, Kirk Cousins. Those
2: appear to be on the, on the edge of retirement.
1: Yes. So my prediction is uh, Palmer retires. Drew Stanton either just gets re-signed as the backup or just gets cut. And uh, they bring in Cousins and then draft somebody, you know, as a, as a backup late. So that's my bold prediction. Talked a little bit about uh, one of the other
2: trades, of course, Kelvin Benjamin, the Panthers shipping him to Buffalo, uh, where all those former Panthers coaches and executives now reside. Uh, up there in Buffalo, Sean McDermott apparently thinking that Benjamin is a, is a, is worth the risk is a big commodity. So we will possibly possibly probably see Benjamin right on the field immediately for the Bills tomorrow night as uh, Buffalo travels to the Meadowlands to face the surprising five and two Buffalo Bills Thursday night football action. They are on the road, but they are the favorites. They are giving three points at the three and five. New York Jets with Jake McCrown
1: under center. Jason, who you got? Yeah, and the Jets were game against. There was a whole bunch of Falcons breakdowns in the secondary. And you know who doesn't break down in the secondary? Yeah. The Buffalo Bills. I'll take the Bills. This is tough, man. For me, I, I'm not the
2: biggest Bills fan. Not the biggest. Uh, 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 I almost said EJ Manuel, Tyrod Taylor fan, but. They are on the road, and I'm thinking that the Jets at home. It's a, it's a short week. You gotta favor the the home team. And but but wait, it's the Jets. I said they quit. I said they were the, the mail-in it team. I said they've already started their tank, and they've they they're they're competing sorta, but they're I still think they're sorta on the down slide and on their way off the grid, so to speak. So I'm, I'm going to grit my teeth and once again take a road team, and I'm going to go with the Bills along with you and give the three points.
1: More on our after show. 40. 40 to nothing last week, by the way, when we get that. Uh-huh.
2: All right, into the VIP after show that we didn't have last show because we got completely cut off because nobody was
1: on the main line yeah we learned our lesson yep Uh, that was (laughs) it was as soon as it said thank you for using blood talk radio i'm like oh (laughs) shit we got sniped we got sniped at the one hour mark that was a first yep i had the same reaction Uh like (laughs) uh-oh we are off the air and we're not getting back Yeah, there was no way you couldn't dial back in. You couldn't, you could do nothing. So that was like, that was when I texted you back and I finally said, I will just log in as the host. (laughs) Next show. Yeah, we didn't learn our lesson
2: from last Thursday night. 40 to nothing, the home team Ravens over the Dolphins, and we're going with the road team once again. It's a trap. Oh boy, very well might be. And trusting the Bills, it might be a trap no matter what day of the week it is. Because I, I don't, I, they they did they took the ball away a lot against Derek Carr and the Raiders. Yeah, I don't know if I, I guess I didn't think that the the talent on that defense was such that you can rely on that. I, I don't know if those are the greatest ball hawks in the league, or if that's just a bad game by a West Coast team going east and maybe not being fully awake yet.
1: yeah you could never really make that determination. You don't know. You, you all you know is what you see, and if you sometimes you try to look for the deeper meaning, it's just not there. Sometimes it is just what it is. The Raiders didn't play very.
2: well. I, I feel like I want to know the answer no matter what. I, I I don't care if it's coincidental or what I just i want to know. I want to know why something happened like all the time. It's one of my. Probably my main pet peeve is not knowing something, no matter how much right I have to know it or not I want to know it all the time. It's why those terrible breakups with with girls back in the day the the ones that sent me into psych wars and things like that the biggest issues were that they had secrets on me and, and they weren't telling me about them and i just and I hate having mysteries out there that I can't fill in the I can't fill in the holes I can't fill in the gaps that that just drives me crazy
1: yeah and then you know and then but, but but the the realization has to be had where it doesn't knowing doesn't change anything
2: no so but at least you, i'm not so
0: even if
1: rocking back right, and forth so why 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 <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah so yeah
1: so yeah I, I i find it a little interesting that we both were on the bills here but that defense, the defense seems legit. Wasn't this the team that was supposed to be mailing it in before the season started, and now they're looking like possible playoff material? Both of them.
2: The Bills and the Jets were supposed to be tanking together, and then everyone's looking yeah. at this primetime matchup of two tanking teams going, what the fuck is this? Come on. what's They got eight combined wins going into this game. I think people thought they were going to have, like, two or three at this point. So... Yeah. Kudos to the Jets for the little hot streak they went on and mad props to the Bills for the, the first half of the season that they've
1: put together so far. I, I can't take anything away from them. And the Bills are really, really ruining my eight and eight forever prediction for them. If they find a way now to finish eight and eight, you you, do, you know it's <laughs> just it's destiny. Like there's nothing that you can do. You're just always gonna finish eight and eight. Um, they made a big
2: step in acquiring Benjamin to try to overcome that. Even if he if he's the the difference maker this year or not, at least going forward, they once again have a difference maker uh, in their receiving core. Because yeah, like you said, and and I talked about it on the show. We both did when they traded Sammy Watkins. Like, okay, you have you, he was like the one consistent weapon you've had the last couple of years in the receiving core. Now he's gone. Now you have no consistent weapons. So, but. Big, big deal getting Kelvin Benjamin. I wonder what else the, uh, the the Panthers could have gotten if people knew that Benjamin was necessarily on the market. Because I don't know if people really knew that he was out there like that. But the Bills having their those guys that used to be with the Panthers, I, I think they had a little bit of, a, of inside knowledge, so to speak.
1: But it also makes me wonder in that same respect of what's going on with the Panthers. Where are they at? In in a very winnable division, I mean, that division is completely up for grabs. What is the Panthers' mindset trading away their best receiver? That's a good question. I assume
2: there's going to be a lot of stories maybe that come out in the next few days okay. about how awful of a teammate Kelvin Benjamin was and they just had to get rid of him. Because if it's that's the case... Yeah. I don't know what you're, I don't know what they're doing. If that's not, if this not something where Benjamin had to go right
1: this second, I have no idea why you make that, make that decision. Yeah. I mean, I could see that the, some story comes out that he's not getting along with Cam Newton or, you know, or he's a cancer in the locker room, but on its face, I mean, if we're just playing Madden, you don't trade away your best wide receiver. Just like, just if like you're, that, you know, not if you're contending. no, I mean, you had the and then the Dolphins. Did you, I mean, the Dolphins traded Jay Ajayi for a fourth-round pick. That was I, I was
2: shocked at that until I sort of looked at the numbers this year. He's not anywhere near what he was last year, and and last year was such a a, a common rising, back-to-back 200-yard games. I think they're cashing in while they can and, and getting something for a guy that they don't think is, is, it, is anywhere near as good as what he showed last year. So uh, in a little deeper look at that, I, I understand it and I actually kind of admire it because I think more teams need to do this in football. This happens a lot, I think, in baseball and basketball where a guy has a, a very hot stretch of, of a, a couple months, three months, four months, and the teams know better. The teams know their guy more than any better than any other team does. And they go, we got to trade this dude now while everyone thinks he's hot shit. We got to get Jorge Soler out of here and and get something of value for him before people realize what he's all about. You know what I mean? So I I think football players or football teams need to do that a little more than they do. And I I actually think this was a shrewd move by the Dolphins.
1: Yeah, if you look at what, you know, the sort of genius of baseball, when you look at their season – is their trade deadline? Is it about that two-thirds mark? You know, which so I think for the NFL, it's still too early. <laughs> that trade that trade that trade deadline needs to be maybe two weeks, three weeks, even later than it is right now. And I think you'd see more action. I think you'd see more teams, you know, teams because you have a better picture of of who's in it. And with football just like in you know baseball now you see all this trade action because of that second wild card football is already set up that way you get to week you get to week 11 or week 12 three quarters of the teams in the league still have mathematical chances or chances at making the playoffs i think you'd see more trade action but that's good for the sport i mean look at look at look at all the buzz that the trade deadline generates for baseball Oh, it's crazy. In the, in the absolute dog days of summer, there's nothing going on. You know, it's the end of July. You're not even really worrying about pennant races or anything like that so much yet. But you're seeing all those teams that are mathematically around or teams that are surprising that, that are looking at adding those pieces. I think football could benefit from, from, from something like that in the middle of, Cause you were like, you alluded to earlier in the show, when the trade deadline was back around week four, week five, it was a joke. Nobody got traded. No, and everyone was moving scared. it. Yeah. And now even with this, you're seeing some big names moving and that creates buzz that that's good for the health of your sport. It's creating action. You know, teams are, are trying to put those pieces in place. Maybe, you know, making up for a deficiency that, they, that they've that they spotted, like, you know, the Seahawks need offensive line, the Bills need a receiver, you know, somebody needs a running back, San Francisco trades what they think is the quarterback of their future. I don't know if all of this happens if the trade deadline was, was week four. Yeah,
2: and Philadelphia being the team that decides to get that running back in JGI, that's a curious yeah. move because – they were, it was sort of piecing it together, but they were actually having success running the ball between Wendell Smallwood and Legarrett Blunt and, and whatever third stringer they have up there. And now they sort of mix J.H.I. in and there. And it, it, it's Basically, if they get anything of contribution from J.H.I., then it's sort of gravy and, and just adding on and adding into the mix. Uh, so, I don't, I, I kind of feel like that's not a slap in the face, but uh, maybe they don't trust that Laguerre Bunt's going to hold up the whole rest of the year. Maybe they don't trust that Wendell Smallwood is the answer long term if, if Blunt does break down. Uh, interesting move. They they maybe risk alienating or, or having some hurt feelings with the guys that are already there when they're actually you know fifth in the league and running the the ball in yards per game already. Adding Jai in there so. That you hear about messing with the chemistry sometimes. It may be a big move. It may be a really good move, but it also may
1: backfire on them. I actually look at it as a good move. When you're 7-1, and one, you are all but assured that you're going to make the playoffs. I mean, there's no guarantees, especially in football, but statistically speaking, the odds are extremely high. They're very good that the Eagles are going to make the playoffs. Making the playoffs means they're going to need LeGarrette Blunt fresh going into the playoffs. They, 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 the trade for Jai, I think, is a move more so that Blunt doesn't get overworked. And they can use him as that battering ram when they need him, which would be in the playoffs. So I think that that's a little bit more forward thinking. And like, so you, you kind of alluded to that, you know, with what they don't know if Blunt can handle the workload. Well, the easiest way to reduce someone's workload, who you're going to need later, is to bring in someone who can take care of all those garbage yards. You know, he, he, I could see Jay Ajayi being that you know, first and second down type runner, and then Blunt's going to be your, your short yardage, your goal line, your, your, your run-the-clock-out-at-the-end-of-the-game type runner, and he can become a little bit more specialized. He's been around a while. I don't think he's an every-down-back anymore. No, I I'll agree with that. And yeah, and but in that in that game in the slop, in that game in the rain, that was the perfect Legarrette Blunt game. That's when you needed him. Yep. He's a mutter. No, just... <laughs> hey, who are you
2: calling a mutter? Uh, that's, that's, that's some good points. Uh, so well, yeah, wait, I I'm getting I'm getting telling me I made good points tonight too. What? <laughs> It's coming to the holiday season. There's a lot of love in here. Oh, it's
1: the season
2: of giving. <laughs> That's right. Uh, did you see the, the the Monday night game, the Broncos and Chiefs? Uh, it, are you thinking the same thing I'm thinking? They need to bench uh, Trevor Simeon in Denver. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm an, I'm an, I'm invested I in Denver. I, I picked them to win the division, uh, and I see the potential still there. The defense still gets after you. Uh, the running game, I, I really am still a fan of both C.J. Anderson and Jamal Charles. I think they're both pushing each other and have been all year. If they get a quarterback that isn't, doesn't have his head up his ass and isn't throwing the ball all over the field and missing his targets by five yards, they could actually still be a formidable team in the AFC.
1: But uh, yeah. they, they need to sit him down right now. Yeah, we have to go back and check the tape. But I, I I'm pretty certain that I had the Broncos out of the playoffs this year. But I would have to go yeah. back and, and and double check and check the tape. But I, yeah, I was not on. I wasn't on the Broncos this year uh, very highly, and one of the main reasons is sort of that mishmash. You don't know what you're going to get at, out of that quarterback position. So yes, Trevor Simeon was awful, but who do you play? Paxton Lynch has been banged up all year. And Brock Osweiler oh. is, in a, is an affront to quarterbacking. So what? what oh. do you do? You are you are. <laughs> see, so yeah, so your, your your premise is sound, but the <laughs> act, What do you? What do you do? As much
2: as I want uh, Brock Osweiler drawn and quartered, I think I go to Brock Osweiler. Simeon's so awful right now. Timmy's playing about as bad as Oswald was yeah. last year, and that's bad. Yeah, I, mean, I actually Timmy's I hung on to
1: guys that. by a mile. I watched that game last night. Um, watched a little bit of the beginning of it, and then you know, on my drive, I'm driving home from work during the game, and then I got home and I watched the most of the yeah, pretty much the entire second half, all the way to the end, only because it mattered for our picks this last week, and I wanted to beat you. (laughs) I did not want the Broncos to screw me on that. And then a week that I actually felt pretty good about ends up going your direction because of that result. So I hung on till the very end of that game, because I kept waiting for something stupid to happen that would allow the Chiefs to either get a push, that was, that was pushy territory or somehow blow that cover and they tried, they did try, they tried but, hard. Uh, but but talent, the talent won out. We've seen the Chiefs do that a lot this year. We've seen the Chiefs let a lot of teams kind of hang around early and then they put them away late and they did it again and I was very happy for it. So, yeah, I did stick around for that whole game. Yes, Trevor Simeon was, was absolute garbage, but they have nothing to go to. They, they make a change to more garbage. You know, garbage, we get garbage at this point. It's like the Brown situation what do you do? You can play any one of those guys. Obviously we, we talked about this on the last show about just play Kaiser. He's the guy you drafted. He's your number one draft pick. Let him just go out there and be terrible. Maybe you end up in a Jared Goff situation or, you know, where he looks like the worst quarterback in football. And he learns from all of that, and looks better the next year when you get a better offensive mind around him. And 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 he learns from all of this. He gets the speed of the game. The the Broncos, their quarterback of the future, is not on that roster. I I mean, with the with the you know, you got to put the asterisk next to Paxton Lynch because you have absolutely no clue because he just can't stay on the field. But unless he really, unless he's the you know, unless he's the guy. They're, the quarterback of the future is not playing for them right now.
2: That's true. But I guess I just feel like that's a defense that doesn't need to be wasted by having complete garbage at quarterback. It's one thing for the Browns to be wasting whatever they have by trying out Kaiser. Uh, either and make my, my deal with that is make a decision one way or the other. Either play him or bench him, but just start him and sit him and then start him again the next week. That's that's no good. That's absolutely not the answer, not the right way to go. But as far as the Broncos go, I'm I'm feeling desperate. I'm feeling for Vance Joseph. I'm feeling desperate for him to try something else because you got such a, a good shot at having success in the AFC because you have one of the better defenses out there. And as long as this guy is out there throwing the ball around and missing everybody by yards and yards and yards, you're not taking advantage of, of what you have. Uh, Shane Ray came back from from injury. Uh, looked like he was lost for the first half out there for the Broncos, and then he started making some impact plays in the second half. Just him and Von Miller, pressuring the quarterback, is is danger. Not to mention all the other talented players. the the No Fly Zone out there. That is too good of a team to be wasting on Trevor Simeon right now. And I understand Brock Osweiler is garbage, but trust me, nobody talked trash about Brock Osweiler more than I more than I did. But I just I'm feeling desperate
1: for him. You, like you get you just got to try something cuz this ain't work. Yeah, you look at the closest team to the Broncos in the way that they're constructed and that's the Minnesota Vikings. It it just makes you marvel at how awesome Case Keenum is even compared <laughs> to those quarterbacks on the Broncos roster cuz he's holding it together. I mean it's not in a situation where the Vikings have the tremendous skill position players the Broncos have guys on the outside. They, they they have players. They have players and playmakers, and zero quarterbacks. Tough to watch. Tough to watch. They won. They they won the Super Bowl with basically what amounted to the ghost of Peyton Manning. One of the
2: worst quarterbacking outings for a winning Super Bowl quarterback, probably the worst. Statistically, it was the worst. And because of that defense, just destroying Cam Newton all game long, they
1: still want to ring. Yeah. That tells you those how guys, bad those three guys are, or at least two. Most of those guys are still there.
2: Yeah. Most of those defenders are still there. TJ Ward's not there, and DeMarcus Ware's not there, but most of, the, most of those other guys are still there, and they could make another run if they can get some quality play at quarterback. The uh no. the cow the Cowboys run attack is back. Zeke Elliott is back just in time for him to possibly get suspended again. And it might be back on. It, is is it on? Is it off? Is it? it I think it's, I think it's back on unless he appeals. Uh, again, he's got a, a window to make another appeal to the appeal that got shot shot down in court. Last night or the night before, the, this is unbelievable, man. Just back and forth. And the, the worst part of this, we know exactly how it's all going to be adjudicated when it's all said and done. It's going to be the exact same thing as the Tom Brady suspension, which is hey, union, you fuckers gave Roger Goodell the power to do this. So he's going to do this. And that's it. Stop
1: wasting our time. I believe I, believe I had that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, so, so what's more confusing? Is Zeke suspended? Or what is a catch?
2: Um, I, I don't know. I, we can't have people call in. We're not live anymore. But uh, which is more confusing? I, uh, I don't
0: know.
2: Uh, in much less detail at gmail.com. Which is more confusing in football right now? The Zeke Elliott situation or what the fuck is a catch? Because I don't
1: know the answer to either one of them right now. You, you, you know, yeah. I mean, and and then to drag this into where it is. And now you got the cowboys who are not running, you know, they they're clear they're the ones chasing right now in trying to make Make some hay here and, and and build on something here going into the for a playoff run and get into getting into the, you know the later part of the season Thanksgiving December make a run and it looks like it, they're going to be doing it without Ezekiel Elliott but it's looked like that for the first eight <laughs> weeks of the season mm-hmm.
2: and they just keep kicking a can down the road and I don't yeah. know I understand but I understand He, had a, I understand. he had a hell of a game. Yeah, yeah, the the Cowboys' oh, yeah. offensive line is is back to where they have been, all except for Tyron Smith, who keeps committing holding penalties. I, I think he might be hurt, but those other guys are back to mauling like they have been. They that bye week did a lot of good because they looked like a fresh team the first game back against San Francisco, and once again in, in this game. But uh, yeah, we don't know if he's going to be there uh, this coming Sunday. They have a big date. At home against the Kansas City Chiefs, they could really, really use him instead of uh, Alfred Morris and Darren McFadden. It's a completely different game if Zeke's back there, uh, as opposed to those other two guys. You know, no offense to Morris and McFadden, but they're not Ezekiel Elliott. And, uh, and and four and three, they need every win they can get. And this thing just keeps lingering and hanging in the air. So uh, all we can do is what the Cowboys are doing: is just sit and, and wait and. and hope that there's some clarification to this soon, but I don't blame Elliot and I don't blame the the union. I don't blame the Cowboys for exhausting every possible angle and every possible appeal because it's such a big deal. And it's such a serious situation. And this is such a, Uh, you can argue such a capricious decision by Goodell to to randomly, okay, you get six games. Now, these other guys, they've got two and four and one and then all these other things, but you're going to get six games. Huh? What? Why? What? Huh? So I I don't blame them, but nonetheless, I still think it's going to wind up,
1: uh, as you've been saying all along, it's going to wind up being the six games, just like Goodell handed down. Yeah, that, you know, if the if the if the players want a better result, get some better representation, and collectively bargain this out, is it because that's that's what it is, and that's the whole reason why Brady's suspension was upheld, because any judge is going to look at it and go, well wait, well, wait a minute, this is an employer-employee situation. You're being disciplined by your employer. It's not illegal. No, nothing, nothing has happened. Your rights haven't been infringed upon. You bargained this power to the commissioner. Maybe your union reps need to go. Maybe, maybe you need to get some people in there bargaining for you and not bargaining for the owners and for the commissioner. Yeah. Uh, there you go. What else, uh, I just, I just solved the problem. They solve your legal issues. Here's the problem. This is the reason all the power goes to the owners, most you know, in the NFL, is all the other sports, there's a lot more games, right? You can have a work stoppage, or you can have a strike, and you could lose a couple of games, and everything is fine. You, you Football, you play once a week, you know, and. and these guys are willing to drag this thing out. Nobody wants a work stoppage. They are so desperate not to have a work stoppage. They just give all the power to the owners.
2: Yeah. They don't want to potentially give up any of the money that they're making because they make, they have such a small window to make money playing football because football careers are so short. So they don't want to risk sitting out like a year, giving up that money and then they try to ramp up physically and come back and play football, and they can't do it anymore because that year off completely ruined their body or something like that, uh, or they you know lost the love of the game or something like that. Their average career is only three years, as it is. They don't want to give a year, potentially a year or so of that, just bargaining for greater powers that are going to be used mostly by guys that come after them. They don't see the the benefit in that. And it's selfish, but I understand it. Uh, I'd want all my money too when I, you know, when I can make it, especially in the NFL where those contracts aren't guaranteed and the, and any team can throw your ass aside anytime they want to. So it's it's tough. It's a very very tough spot. But I think the the smarter guys on on that side of the aisle know that you know this is what they're going to have to do if they want any of those rights, any of those powers back. They're going to have to take a stand and say, we will not give on these points, on this, 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 and this, and all these other points, you know, are are negotiable, but here's what we're not going to give in on, and, and the NFL is going to come back with, you know, I think we know exactly, like, the first thing the NFL is going to come back with, okay, whatever you want in return, we're going to get 18 games out of your ass because – It's too much money we're leaving on the table uh, having these four preseason games and 16 regular season. We want 18 games, and no matter what you ask for, we're going to ask for 18 games. So uh, you start there and you go from there, and I think everyone knows they're going to start there. But uh, that's what it's going to have to be. It's going to have to be not just strong ownership. It's, it's, you know, DeMar Smith gets a lot of people talking about him and and how weak he is, but I, I, I sort of try to take the side of he can only fight for what his constituency wants him to fight for if they insist if the players insist that he stands up for this this and this then i think he's going to do that i don't think he's going to be a wimp and cave on situations or you know on circumstances like how much power the commissioner gets if the players say that that's a major issue he's going to stand up for that i would think maybe he's a terrible uh union head and, and maybe I'm talking out of my ass but I would think if they indicate to him this is job one this is important enough that you need to protect this right uh, that he's going to protect that right I just don't think it's it was valuable enough to them in the past uh, collective bargaining agreement <laughs>
1: Right. Yeah. So that's all what it all is, money. right? It's all about money. All these guys, they all want their money. That you know, they know who has the power in the NFL. Those owners, the TV people, all the money flowing in, and everybody wants their money, right? Everybody you know, and all these guys that they're not gonna sometimes you're not going to stand up for what is right. Because there's just too much money in it, right yeah, yeah Roger Roger good if you take Roger Goodell and you swap him with, with the power structure and everything that you have with the NFL is Roger Goodell any different than let's say Harvey Weinstein hmm. now. The the guys in the NFL, I would assume, are not all blowing Roger Goodell and, and giving him massages and doing these CD things. I, I would assume. Um I was about to say I hope Goodell isn't as grabby but, as he is. But I'm just saying when you analogize that, you can definitely analogize that. You've got people who are trying to be up and coming, they want their big break, they want the money, right? They want the money, they want the fame they do things that they don't necessarily feel good about to get that money and get that fame. And there we go. It's no different. You could you could almost draw the corollary without the sex acts between that power structure Hopefully. or any, or any power structure.
2: Yeah. That's the, that's the thing. It's not just the money. It's the power. It's the power that comes right.
1: with it. Right. And right now, the owners and Roger Goodell, who is, he represents the owners. People, Commissioner of Football is the representative of the owners. He is the league. He is the shield. And he gets to dole out whatever punishment he wants to because it's been legislated that way. And that's why these guys all lose their appeals. That's the players don't hire pay. the commissioner. The owners do. Right. And that's what that's why if they if they want to change it, yes, a couple of things are gonna to have to happen. You're right, they're gonna to have to have some real give and take back and forth. Players are gonna want more guaranteed money, owners are gonna want more revenue stream, they're gonna want more games, you know. The, it's just gonna keep going back and forth. They're gonna want Goodell to have less power. But see, when you say you want Goodell to have less power, you're not saying that you want Goodell to have less power. You're saying you want the owners. He is the owners. You're saying that you want the league to have less power. So in order to take a little bit of that power away, you have to be willing to give it. So there's going to be, the next time this CBA comes up, I don't think it's going to be a breeze.
2: No, it looks like it's going to be pretty ugly.
1: Yeah, I, I'm okay with that you, change is ugly sometimes if you want all these players you know, they want to talk about the, 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 it, they're all slaves and it's the plantation mentality these guys are all millionaires but they're they're like the modern day equivalents of, of gladiators and slaves and if they don't stand up to change that you, you know they they have the power at that point when when the when the bargaining agreement comes up that's when you have the power to change things. And if they do nothing to change it, stop complaining. We never talked about it when it happened
2: because it was so, I guess, obvious to me and funny. But the NCAA uh, basketball coaches falling under FBI investigation because they were paying all these players uh, benefits and money under the table. Shocker.
1: Stunning.
2: colleges were paying players to come play for their colleges because this isn't about college this is all about the all about the Monday it's all about big business for is not college force is not amateurism it's professionalism except you're not paying the labor force right so you're, the, the you're, fact you're your
1: coach. Your coach can be the highest played employee in the state. The coach could make more money than the governor of Lots your state. More. Right. Millions. By leaps more. and bounds. But if those players benefit at all, oh oh boy. Oh shit. If he give you a ham now. sandwich, son, you can't have that. Can't have can't put those crab legs back. Uh oh. James. Davis, come here. That's, that's not good.
2: Um, yeah, it's just ridiculous. This, this hypocrisy of we give these college kids a, a free education and they're supposed to be okay with that. First of all, the free education doesn't feed me. Second of all, uh, the education that I'm supposedly getting, I can't take advantage of because if I take any real classes that might get me a real degree, the coach slaps me down and says, "I'm not allowed to be on the team anymore because I'm not focusing enough on the sport." So tell me how I'm not a professional again? That it's bullshit.
1: Yeah, and, and yeah, everyone has video. known
2: it for years and years and years.
1: Yeah, and and the problem in college sports, the NCAA with football and basketball predominantly, the problem isn't that you're doing it; it's getting caught. Get caught. It's that you got caught. Everybody's doing it. But you got caught. You're the dumbass. You're the dumbass. You know, it's probably spelled out for you how to do this, how to cleanse the money, how to, you know, how to launder everything. You got to friends with the program, you know, do all this, you know, and you've got to not get caught. If you get caught, you pay the price. You didn't play by the rules because the rules are clearly set up for you to cheat, <laughs> you know the trouble is getting caught some, and people get caught and then, Oh, it's a big news story and it's, it's never going to stop. And then for a couple of minutes, the talking heads will pretend to care about college athletics and these players getting paid or getting some piece of the action for all of the money. Again, all this money, there's that word again, that they are bringing in to their universities, to the States, to the, to the towns where they're playing the games or where the bowl games are in the And then all the money they get from the bowl games from the NCAA tournament all that money you give any of that to the players though and you've broken some sacred rule you and I have been off and on the hypocrisy of this probably even before even before we started doing this show we've been sort of railing against this can't give those guys
2: anything we've been disgusted by this for years and and so have a lot of other people something's got to change some of
1: and these same, universities, these same universities that pretend like that they are learning institutions will, will put players on their teams who have no business being at a university.
2: Son, what's your major? <laughs> uh, rape?
1: The, <laughs> I don't think that's a <laughs> the major, only reason, The only reason these guys are on teams is because they can play a sport. And it's predominantly basketball and football. Those are I think we agree those are the two predominant of the college athletics, it, it baseball not so much. You don't really hear much about college baseball. It it really is NCAA football, men's basketball. That's where all the cheating happens. That's where you hear about all the the the, the educational violations. You know where these guys aren't making their grades or. They're, they're cheating. Or they're getting caught as being cheaters, and then they shouldn't be playing. Or, yeah, just so much. It's those two sports because that's where all the money comes in from college athletics. It, it, it's yeah, it, it is. It's it's sickening, and they won't fix it. It's got, but it's they have
2: to. This this is this can't keep going on like this. It's so obvious that it's wrong. It's got to be. I don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but it's got to be fixed out. Someone's got to come up with some plan to let these kids go, not, maybe not even to a college at all, because they don't like, – like you said, a lot of them don't belong in college at all. I'm here to get a higher education. Can you read? Uh no. Uh, so there's got to be something set up for these kids to go to some minor league and make some money or go overseas or uh, uh, some uh, – but the, it's so intricated with the pros, the NFL – makes you wait three years after your college or after your high school class graduates before you can even go into the NFL. So there's only one way to get there and it's through college. It's all interwoven. The NBA has the one and done rule now, which is dumb. Uh, so the, the pros have a vested interest in having colleges exist as a minor league to sort of weed out the, the guys before they get to their level. But, at the same time, the NBA has a D-League and, and the NFL uh, does is not subsidizing all these other minor leagues, but they sure farm from all these minor leagues. They'll farm from Canada and from the Arena League and all these other leagues as if they are official NFL minor leagues. There's got to be something official set up to have some significant money for these kids to come from high school to go make money doing their craft and doing what, what they are here to do. They're not here to go to college. They're not here to sit in a bullshit uh, English literature class. They're here to, to ball, That's and that's, what, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with existing to ball. Baseball players, some of them exist to, to just play baseball. They went from high school right into the minor league system and, and made their way up to the pros, and nobody batted an eye. Something like that has to exist eventually for these football and basketball players. I don't know when, I don't know how, but it's got to get done.
1: Yeah, and the stories like this, but this is what happens though: the stories come out, everybody talks about it, and and then we and then they forget yeah, about happened. it because you know, yeah, and then the new because the news cycle switches and you got to move on to the next thing. Yeah, it really only exists it only really exists as fuel for the talking heads. And at this moment, us to talk about our disdain for the system until the next time it happens again. And you and I will do the exact same thing pretty much. And in the meantime, the NCAA will rake in millions and millions and millions of dollars on these players and on their likenesses and on, you know, on all of that. But well, these guys can't profit one cent on the... the, the you have a kid who got busted a few years ago about selling his jerseys?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, they, they, they find anything. You know.
2: The Ohio State kids selling their memorabilia from their bowl games, trying to make a bug off of that. Yeah. And got in trouble with that. Was, was, was he one of those kids, I think, if I recall? Yeah. But... But they're not allowed. It's, it's so sacred. You can't sell your, your pins from your bowl games. It's such a sacred symbol and you can't make money off it at all. But how much do the schools make off of those bowl games? Oh, millions and millions and millions.
1: Okay. Right. It was like the whole thing. You look at the Olympics. They were, oh, it's the amateurs, right? We couldn't send the pros, it could only be the amateurs until so you realized that the whole rest of the world was sending pros. And, and okay we can't now we'll send pros. okay that will send pros it's eventually gonna just reach that common sense point with, with with the NCAA where they're just gonna be like you know the system is not just it, it's just it's, it's an unfair system for all that money that's coming in and it's the players without those players they don't have they don't have that system. But and I don't think that I don't it's think so that the number to pay placement. some of these, if even with the even I don't think the number would be all that tremendously high to make this go away. Yeah, I, I
2: agree. I don't think they have to give them a million dollars a year. I think they no. can give them six figures, and maybe not even that much, but but something.
1: I don't. Players, yeah, not not the college player. I mean, pro players, you know, six figures, but. You give you give these college kids anything and they'd yeah. be happy. Anything. A thousand dollars and they'd probably be because think about it, a lot of these people who are getting busted, these players who are getting busted for taking something for free, it's usually not the big obvious blatant ones where someone's grandma's got a new tractor or, or something like that. <laughs> you know. It, it's the it's the little stuff. It's the kids selling some memorabilia, or getting a free meal, or you know someone's got a, a you know being put up in a house or something like that. It's it's not major. It's not the major stuff that a lot of the times is getting even reported. It sometimes is really minor stuff where you look at it and you're like, really, you're, you're busting them for that because they have this zero tolerance rule when it comes to that. Yeah.
2: Oh, bullshit. So, uh, switching gears, the Dodgers are one strike away from putting away the Astros and going to what will be game seven tomorrow night. So, I don't know how many words you have to to put on it, but just, holy fuck, what a World
1: Series. Again, that's two in a row, right? Oh, Yeah. (laughs) Well, <laughs> I mean, we've had some. I mean, think about it. We, we've been blessed with some really compelling, I and mean, obviously, Last year, we had we. I mean, we had we had really good World Series uh, with the Royals. You know, uh, the a couple times that they made it in, I and mean, we've you know this one. We've had some very good baseball playoffs um, these last few years. Baseball's p- popularity is on the rise. Surprisingly, they are not quite at they're not quite at football levels, but they're getting back. You know, they're getting you know football. Problem is, is they're sort of meeting in the middle, <laughs> right now, um, the way that the numbers have been looking. But baseball, it's nice to see as a baseball fan, baseball getting its due again, as, as you know, because baseball is a very interesting and it can be, even though football is you know, much more physical. There's, you know, all, you know, a lot more things going on. You have to understand a lot more rules. You have to understand baseball can be even, it can either be the most boring or the most exciting. And that's the issue that you run into with baseball is it, it does have those extremes. It's got an extremely long season, but when you compelling, interesting, competitive baseball, it's really hard to beat. You it gets, it can really get the heart pounding um, when it's good. And for a long time, it wasn't that good. And and now it feels like it's it's back, you know, baseball's kind of getting some of its swagger back and, you know, the players are compelling. There's good, there's good things going on for baseball. I said, you know, so yes, it's been a good world series. I just appreciate seeing the sport healthy again, especially
2: now, however
1: uh oh. However,
2: we had a whole podcast about it in the summer about how baseball is getting back to its popularity and how the the popularity is spiking. It's because of these super balls and it's changing <laughs> the sport. As far as I'm concerned, so I don't know if you feel uh, that way after watching that game, uh, that game five, which was something the likes of which we really haven't seen before because that was ridiculous. It was going to be, that game was going go to go to 2020. If they, if they didn't find a way to break through and, and score that run in the bottom of the, of the 10th, they were just going to keep scoring on each other back and forth, uh, for the, for the entire rest of the night, because that ball was just, Yasiel Pui hits a one-handed homer. Uh, some of those balls that, that, that cleared the fence were just barely hit and they flew out of the yard. I I, I posted on, on Twitter. I, I linked to an article, uh, as far as illustrator writer who actually liked my comment about it, which was like the the biggest sort of celebrity moment so far that I've had on Twitter, which is, you know, that's, that's something, but uh, baseball is broken. Hashtag baseball is broken. Uh, he he talked about the Astros and Dodgers, both pitchers, both pitching staffs. This was before game five, by the way, saying that there's something wrong with these balls, that, that something specifically with the world series balls, that there was something, uh, with the grip, but you couldn't, you really couldn't throw a slider with it. And somebody else on Twitter, had pointed out, you know, who's, you know, who who relies a lot on sliders, you Darvish and Ken Giles. And we know what's happened to them in the world series that they both been getting shellacked. And so there's been something with these balls all regular season and now, especially these balls in the world series. So yeah, it's great that baseball is, is getting more popular and getting healthy, but the way it's happening I don't, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm a little queasy about it because I don't think it's natural and I don't like how disingenuous the commissioner Rob Manfred is being because every time he gets brought up to him, he acts like, you know, what me worried, the, the, the Mad Magazine guy. like he, He's pretending
1: like nothing's happening. Yeah, I mean, there's an element to that with all the home runs that we've seen. I mean, we've seen postseason games with eight home runs and seven home runs twice. It, come on yeah yeah and in what we're not seeing are rallies hitting runs you know hitting behind the runner you're not seeing a lot of smart baseball what you're seeing is a lot of solo homers <laughs> you know from guys yeah you know, from guys who don't traditionally hit them I mean we were we've been making fun all year of Dde Gregorius, hit 20 some homers. One of many. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's that element to it, but there's a there's a fun element to it. Hey, look at what happened to football. Maybe they're taking a page out of football. Let's just make this, you know, an an, an offensive explosion, and we're gonna get people to tune into the game. Yeah, I
2: think you're onto something there. Uh, it's and about I think the money. Of, well, it's always about the money, uh, and they're. Probably thinking also back to the steroid era when everyone was gnashing their teeth and wringing their hands, and also baseball was extremely popular and people couldn't get enough of it. And thinking, hey, how do we get back to that without going back to guys' heads looking like they're uh, twice the size that they're supposed to be? I know, let's do balls. Uh, like I said, I just hate the disingenuousness about it all. I just fess up and, and say what's going on. Yeah, 95% of the fans aren't going to care that uh, if you admit that the balls are juice. So I
1: don't know why he doesn't just go ahead and, and admit what's going on, that everyone can see. Right. So then if, if it's baseball terms, then what you're going to start to see eventually, because everything always has a reaction, you're going to start to see these teams moving the fences back. You're going to see these new stadiums with bigger dimensions everything is going to change to adapt to the new style of baseball cuz it does it does always seem that every time that there's a popularity that there's too much offense you know you have the live ball era the steroid era what we're going through right now with the the slick baseball or whatever it is they're calling it there's always a reaction that seems to go back the other way i don't so i don't think we're going to see this forever I hope we don't, but that's just, the, it seems like baseball, baseball's been around for so long. It seems like that there's just like the ebb and flow. You you, you kind of have it where pitching dominates for a while and then hitting dominates. It, it just seems to just resonate back and forth. And, and th- this year, especially, and you know, we talked about it. Well, is it bad pitching? There's a lot of bad pitching. We know that there's also a lot of bad hitting. And that's a lot of the bad hitting is producing a lot of these home runs because you have guys who can only hit a particular style. And all they do is look to drive that ball out of the park. And that's why you end up with these guys who hit, you know, 210, but, you know, hit 45 home runs. So it goes back and forth. I don't think it's just one thing. It's not just just bad baseball. What I wish I knew, though, is how many of those
2: guys are swinging from their heels and don't care about strikeouts because they know the balls are so warped and and juiced that this is how they could succeed the best is by just swinging from their heels and how many of those guys would actually be hitters and much better if the balls were regular and they had to actually work on their craft cuz I don't think everyone's turning into Adam Dunn right now I don't think everyone wants to be Adam Dunn I think Adam Dunn was Adam Dunn But I think all these other guys that are becoming Adam Dunn, I don't think they want to be that necessarily. Some of them actually want to be good hitters, but it doesn't behoove you to work on your your skill and be a good hitter because it's so much easier to just hit the ball with one hand and hit it 350 feet. It's so much easier to do it that way.
1: Yeah. But we get another game seven. That's all people are going to care about. Hey, you know what, though? For all that being said, we had a three-to-one game tonight.
2: That's true. There's always a park factor, There's a park effect as well. That all those balls being hit out were down in, uh, in in that is it Minute Maid Park now, is it Enron Field, whatever they're calling it in Houston, which has always been a bandbox. So uh, there is that. Well, they were
1: in yeah, they were in LA tonight, and that you know yeah. they were down in the you know down at the sea level and you know thicker air, not as easy. So yeah, you still have the park factors. You don't see these guys going to Oakland, hitting these massive bombs. That's yeah, true. But it,
2: it, it's still something's going on. There's still, uh, they cleared the, the major league home run record for total homers by a lot. Uh, yeah. Even in the Sosa McGuire bonds era, they weren't hitting them out like this. And it's obviously something that is going on. And I, I, don't like the the dishonesty and not really addressing it, but uh, it's not going to change, apparently. This is going to be the uh, the legacy, it would appear to me, of the uh, Rob Manfred era. is going to be what happens with these balls and what happened with the offensive explosion. And, it, it, hey, it, since it's all about the money, it may wind up working out perfectly well for them. They might get brand-new TV contracts on down the road because of all these offensive explosions happening
1: and it may all work out in the long run for them. who who knows yeah baseball's been drawing well it also helps though that you have all these huge i mean you had in the lcs's the four largest markets in the country in the league championship series that helps of course absolutely you've got New York, Chicago, L.A., and Houston. A lot of people, you know, we talked about this on the show. A lot of people don't realize that Houston is the fourth largest com- uh, city in the country. That When you have those four major markets, that you're going to get some viewership. You know, we're not watching, you know, the LCS wasn't Twins, Royals, you know, Reds, <laughs> and, and D-backs.
0: <laughs>
1: that might have had something to do with the ratings.
2: And also that all four teams are younger, and there's not there's not any old lions just making another appearance. These, uh, even though the Yankees, of course, are such uh, a historic franchise, and the Cubs as well, uh, these these teams are young star. The young stars are, you know, outside of Mike Trout, is there all the young stars in the sport that were uh, in the playoffs and, and making people compelled to watch? If you're a baseball fan, you absolutely could not. Say ah, they're the same old teams. I'm not going to bother watching. You had to watch these these playoffs the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at teams like Houston this year, the Cubs last year, I mean, you're you're watching. I mean, you're watching the Astros right now. I mean, this is almost like you're watching the futures game, or what it was with the Cubs last year. We're going to be talking about the Astros and the Cubs and a lot of these teams for many years to come. Here. Yeah,
2: the Indians will be back. We know the-
1: that. You're hoping you're hoping for that same sort of revitalization out of your White Sox in the next few years.
2: Oh, if only they could get this lofty. Yeah, we're they're, they're doing at least they're doing things that right way now. It would appear so. That that's all they're I'm not going to say that I I'm not going to expect a, a World Series appearance anytime soon. But at least they're doing things the
1: right way. But at least the effort is there. They're not just going out and yeah. signing has been. Roberto Alomar is not walking through that
2: door. Kendrick Jr. is not walking through that door. Uh, I think they didn't they have Manny Ramirez when he was on the end of his uh, career. That's yeah, the whole deal is completely uh, in the past.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. I was Anything about, uh,
2: yeah, we Yeah, a lot of football early. Of course, Bryce in Brooklyn, uh, always passionate. And uh, uh we've kind of sprayed to all fields in the after show sports, baseball. Uh, so that, we, we I know our kids were for Halloween because they told me on the last show that they go out trick or treating. We did
1: 29 degrees tonight, just so Ooh. you know. Ooh. So it, 29 degrees, we were out there trick or treating. Um, we were we ended up being out there for about an hour, and, and that was about it. My my son was done. Um, I know he was Darth <laughs> Vader. He was very he was Darth Vader. He was he was the cutest little Darth Vader that you've ever seen. And my daughter was Wonder Woman, but yep. she had on a winter coat, so oh, wow. couldn't really tell. She, she well she, she walked around with it open but both those kids, those, those kids both were asleep quick tonight. My wife goes in with oh, them yeah. and put them down every night and she was out of that room in five, 10 minutes. I was like, well, that was, that was quick. Yeah. They, they, you know, they all that walking around, all that cold air crashing from the candy. We don't let them eat a lot of the Halloween candy, but you know, we try not to pump those kids up on sugar. So when they do have it, they get that sugar rush and then they crash. Um, but yeah, it, it was a successful it was a successful Halloween. Another one in the books, but yeah, 29 degrees. The definitely the coldest one that my kids have had to go through. And we've had some chilly ones. This one was yeah. definitely the most cold. Uh, it was windy too. It was a little breeze to go at that 29. Oh, sounds sounds pleasant. Sounds wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Amazing. Yeah, I'm guessing it wasn't 29 degrees down there by you today.
2: <laughs> no, when when I say we've had a, a cold snap in the last couple of weeks, uh, the high today was probably in the 50s. And oh, it's terrible. I know this morning, yeah, I know. I, I know this morning when I left the house, it was 41, and I was like, oh my God, it's freezing! It's 41 degrees!
1: I, I know you don't want to hear about that. Yeah, we would have been excited for trick-or-treating in 41-degree weather. <laughs>
2: So are we on for uh, Saturday at uh, nine Central to
1: pick week nine. yeah, I have actually uh starting on Friday, I've got a nice four day weekend. so I am very okay. excited uh, very excited. I've got a nice little rest up here before the holidays start to kick in so yeah i i' I'm wide open all weekend and we uh, we should be no problem for uh, nine on Saturday.
2: All right, sounds good. That, Thank goodness your kids every day is isn't Halloween because they their sugar levels will be off the charts. They'd be diabetics like I am.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. All right. Well, that's the
2: truth. <laughs> he is Jay. I am Dre. This has been In Much Less Detail, the podcast. Thank you all for listening and calling us good hosts and experts and, and all the compliments that we receive. Price making us feel good tonight. We really appreciate that. Tune in Sunday night, 9 p.m. Central Time, 10 p.m. Eastern as we pick the rest of NFL Week 9 in much less detail. We will talk to you then.